Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Above the Bar podcast, where each week we belly up to the bar with a new guest, find out what they do, who they are, and what makes them great. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Above the Bar podcast. We're bellied up to the bar today. A little bit of a unique situation. Most of you that are watching us, we are only on YouTube. Uh, I did run our Twitch, which is the first time we've ever done that, and I have no idea how this is showing up on Twitter. Uh, for those of you that normally watch us on, on Facebook, we'll figure that whole thing out. I have no idea what's going on. They They banned us for a post that I've never seen. The comment said it was from over a, a post from over a year ago. So y'all might want to start scrubbing your stuff and figure out who's been on your uh, Facebook. You know, grandma went and sent you a picture of her buns and it was just buns that she made. Next thing you know, old frog man is going to go ahead and cut you loose. But <laughs> we have a very special guest right over the right shoulder. We, we'll get into sticking a cause for a minute, but we got, we brought a legend today. We've had this same legend on before. He is the I'm a, I think I'll make it official now. He is the official bouncer for uh the Above the Bar podcast, you know, cuz I think he, he could be one of the largest humans we've had on the show. I didn't realize how large Calais Campbell was until this past weekend. Um Yeah, that's a big man. That's a lot of person. Yeah. He is a lot of person, but I, I figure we have a uh, former, we'll go through the whole list. I'm just going to go through that. Are we still pushing 345 or less? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 2X. 2X? I don't know how much I weigh. I just know I wear 2X. So we brought Beanie Anderson back, former Baltimore Raven offensive guard. Uh, went to high school at in St. Louis at Cleveland Junior Naval Academy. Tennessee State graduate, un, undrafted in 2000 That's to become right. one of the top five undrafted free agents in Baltimore Ravens history. That's right. Uh, played for the Ravens between 01 and 04, did a, did a clip with Buffalo and a clip with the Dolphins, and now the offensive coach for, is it Westminster? What's the name of the school? Yep, that's it. Westminster Christian Academy. Westminster Christian Academy <clears throat> in St. Louis. He is the right. offensive line coach. That's correct. Uh, and last time we talked, you had just put the wood on somebody. It was like 46 to nothing last time we talked. Right. Uh, but he is bellied back up to the bar with us. We have Mr. Beanie Anderson. Beanie, welcome, brother. That's right. How you doing, son? Good. Here, we'll give you this. You know, got, got to do you in right. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And, and our conversation today, initial conversation is definitely we're going to we're going to talk about what that like to I mean, your whole life, you had to be a man among boys, you know, just a big person playing at a level in high school that, that most weren't, you know, you're playing D, D1 ball and even there you're excelling excelling past the average uh, player to go from there 
to the NFL and then turn around. And I mean, the NFL, you know, those are rooms full of millionaires. Right. To back to a grounded, passionate way of playing again. I don't yeah. want to take the passion out of the NFL, but we we're, we're going to talk about that today. Mm-hmm. We might get into a little – Beanie and I talked about this before, and we, we're, we, we're going to talk a little John Gruden. Mm-hmm. I think that's something you have to talk about today. Sure. Um, it, it's it's necessary as a parent, not mm-hmm. even as, a, as an athlete or as, as, a, as a fan. Mm-hmm. As a parent, we got to have that conversation. We do. Um, but we're going to do a little bit of house cleaning, as okay. we always do. First things first, uh, if you guys liked everything you were seeing this week as, as our posts, as always, we got our number one sponsor, the first sponsor to the show. You like all your pictures, Beanie, we put up, like I, I share with you? Man, you know what? I haven't seen them all. I've seen some, but the ones I like, the ones that I haven't seen, man, I'm impressed. That is that is Media by Dibs, another Marine uh, buddy yep. of mine. He's got his own company, Media by Dibs. Maybe you, he, he does jerseys. He he does uh, Unicorn Sports. Like, he does all their website stuff, too. Uh, so, yeah. I, I, you, know, I have, you know, I got my sons who are – I got one son that's a sophomore playing ball in, in college. Uh, one that's a senior who's committed to play ball in college. So, yeah, they, I'm sure we can find, you know, Dibble can do some things with those guys or for those guys. So that's, uh, well, and now that's a whole nother market. You know, it wasn't like that. You said when you were coming out, now you got to have like special websites and all that kind of stuff to, to promote these kids. That's but right. uh, Media by Dibs, if you, if you like to have your information, you're looking for a logo, really looking for anything. Uh, media wise, media by dibs. You go ahead and, and check him out. And what he's going to do for you is you tell him belly up to the bar. They're going to give you 10% off of your first order with him. And he's going to give you a free consultation. Uh, again, just say media, go to media by dibs and say uh, belly up to the bar and get that 10% off. The other things we got the big bird back here. The heart, I'm going to start calling him the heart attack kid. Like, <laughs> Bro, this whole first season is killing me softly. Yeah. Killing me softly. Uh, but we've got our, our sticker and a cause. If you got a cause, you got a thing, something that you're passionate about. Maybe some somebody will send me a, a Westminster Christian Academy sticker. We'll put that up on the board. All right. Uh, but whatever you got, you send me that sticker. We'll talk about it. We'll let everybody know what you got going on. We'll let everybody know what you got happening so that they can have an opportunity to see what that's about and see what what you got going on. All right. There's the house cleaning is done. We can't share this to anyone like I normally do because Facebook has banned me from live videos and from uh, any type of advertising for a, a picture from over a year ago that I had never seen in my life. But it was funny. <laughs> it, it, I, well, they ain't watching. So look, I'll tell you what it was, Beanie. Mm-hmm. It was the elf on the shelf. But it looked like he was being hung like Jeffrey Epstein. Oh my goodness. With a claymation version of Hillary Clinton walking past. <laughs> he did funny. It is funny, but you know, we gotta be careful about what we laugh about now, man. Right, right. Look, they don't 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 be funny. Yeah. Don't <laughs> don't be funny. Don't be we well, we did a a whole show a couple of weeks ago on dark humor. Uh, I remember that show. I did checked it out. That 
and I was scared. Like as a as a host, I always had I had to put my Oprah hat on for that one. Because yeah. only Oprah can talk about some like real sketchy stuff, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, "She's got this." Well, I know I know we're not talking about that today, but can we explore that that whole dynamic as to who can say what and who has license uh, to say certain things at certain times? Well, we know John Gruden ain't got no license. Well, we want to get into that with all yeah. of it. Let's yeah, do it. Let's go ahead, man. You know, well, let me go on the record to saying this. I know some guys who played for Gruden, and nobody liked them. And these weren't black players or white players. These were just both. These were just players. Uh, so with that being said, you know, the things that's coming out about him, you know, as at his character, no one ever saw that coming. You know, you can not like a guy, but to, to have those things come out is different. But then on the flip side of it, I mean, was it that bad what he said? I would say yes. I, I would say yes. Yeah, so the um, so the great philosopher says he talks about the zygot. Means okay. the spirit, the spirit of the age. So the spirit of the age in twenty, whenever he sent those emails, is quite, is quite different than the spirit of the age now. Okay. So when he made those comments, and I'm not excusing him at all, I think it was is bad. But you got to take into consideration the spirit of the age. This is before the Me Too movement. This is before, um, you know, we really uh, started to see the the acceptance of the LGBT community. And and to be quite honest with you, um, some of the words that he used were acceptable at that time that are not acceptable now. So, I mean, you know, it's it's a lot that goes into it. I, I, so I completely understand. Like we were, so when we did the dark comedy, we talked about one of my favorite movies of all times is blazing saddles yeah you you can't make that movie you cannot make that movie uh you're, you can't make history of the world you you really can't make any mel brooks films anymore exactly um he would be just crucified for it yeah. and you really couldn't make most of your monty python stuff anymore either <laughs> no yeah but but I, I i understand what you're saying but i think it so Booger McFarlane, who has the worst nickname in yeah. all sports, the worst. Um, but I think it was I was listening and I think it was Booger that said it best. He's like and he said, like you did, hey, I don't excuse anything that John said, but let's ask the other question. Who were all the people that saw these emails? Who were all the people involved in these conversations that never stopped it? that never said anything as soon as it happened and shared the messages, kept the emails and just were involved in the conversation. Where are they at? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause I'm sure he sent the email and somebody responded in some sort of fashion. Right. Somebody sent an LOL or a thumbs up or something. I don't think it went to a dead space. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, it's not necessarily an indictment, but that is where we were at then. 
and I don't know who sent the email. I don't know John Gruden personally, but I'm not sure if he is the same person who, in 2021, who sent those emails whenever they were sent. And so, like I said, the people who I know don't like Coach Gruden. I never, I never met him. I, I don't like his personality per se, but I don't know him to say whether or not he's a good guy or a bad guy. But I will say, if you were to judge me on some things that I said out of ignorance that I am now more aware of, then I don't know how fair that would be. Fair enough. I mean, well, I mean, can't we really kind of say that John Gruden is the almost the Bobby Knight of the NFL? Well, I don't know if he has that type of credibility. So when Bob, <clears throat> Bob Knight comes into your, your room, your, your house, now, Sean, you're a Marine Corps veteran, served our country proudly. Yes, if sir. Bobby Knight walks in, you will stand up and say, hello, Coach Knight. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because he's going to throw one of my bar stools at me. <laughs> if, 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 if John Gruden walked in the room, you'll say, hey, Chucky. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, just, no. it's, it's just, you know, it's a different sort of respect that's commanded. Yeah, so, no, I, I will agree with that. So I wouldn't put necessarily put Coach Gruden on that level. I may put a, a Coach Parcells or a Belichick on that level, on that level, but but not Coach Gruden. Not, no. not Gruden. See, and I was thinking of it from the just the demanding standpoint. He always seemed like a demanding coach to me, like a very like you will give this to me, you will do this. Not like almost like his respect wasn't earned; it was demanded. Well, yes. Well, maybe. Maybe conned or bullied would be a better term. Bullied. bullied. I like yeah. that term. But I don't, I don't, you know, guys respect coaches based off coaches putting them in a position to be the most successful. And I've never heard anyone say that about Coach Gruden. He put a ring on it, though. He did put a ring on it. He, I mean, uh, and let's, let's be fair. He, he was the coach that got them over the hump. But he was really just the mayo on the sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the sandwich was already made. They it just was had there. Squirt a little mayo on it. <laughs> so, so I, I I understand exactly what you're saying though. Is you know what he's saying isn't right, isn't correct, isn't acceptable. None of the above. But in the time frame of when it happened was it more was it more acceptable i guess i don't even want to say more acceptable but was it turned a blind eye to more then well i don't know if it was necessarily turned a blind eye that is just the way that the world was yeah i mean you know for all intents and purposes people use the f word and i'm not saying the f u c k word you know what we're Oh, yeah. Saying. No, look, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, no. you know, uh, I can recall. So my son is now in the 12th grade. So this was sixth grade. And this is when I understood that I had to raise my kids to be in a different world. So it was a kid in his class who said something. And my son responded, man, that's gay. Okay. So my son gets called into the office for using that, you know, that's offensive. So up to that point, you know, in the sixth grade, 
though that wasn't a word that I told him to not use. You know, so you know, now so that's six years ago. So that's what 2015. Right. So, that, yep. so you know, that's when I started to understand that hey man, you don't use certain words because it is offensive. So, you know, I'm much different now. I raise my kids much different now because I know better. So I don't I'm not necessarily sure that when that when those emails about that thing, not the topless women and all the other stuff. Right. But about that, did they actually see it as anything wrong? Because it's different if you know it's wrong and you go out and do it. But if you is something that's been acceptable for 30, 40, 100 years and you just carrying it on, I mean, it's a little bit different. I, I, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, and and that was a different, you know, the NFL was. And, and you know, it still is that that is the pinnacle that is American gladiator, the true American gladiator sport <clears throat> until until you strap on some lacrosse gear and then. That's a whole nother animal. Right. You know, that, that changes, that changes your outlook on things. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it really is, you know, that's a, what, what's the saying? It's a, a 30 mile an hour car crash every 45 seconds. Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, so you have a machismo side to it and, and that's almost where it is. It's, it's not acceptable today. And, and I've seen it. It's interesting to me is I've seen it personally in the corporate world, the world mm -hmm. that I work out of, mm -hmm. where people have, even back in 2014, I watched a young lady, somebody reach back in her Facebook years prior, like high school, five, six years prior to 2014, and found a comment that she made that was definitely not meant in a derogatory manner. Mm -hmm. Um using a, a term and, and she was talking about the uh UN uh no she was uh she's a Tar Heel fan so she was talking about the Tar Heels and mm -hmm. she goes that's my ends and used mm -hmm. that term and meant it in an endearing way somebody found it and she lost her job yeah a and you know that's I mean you know I mean, Look, I got banned today for for the Jeffrey Epstein thing that I didn't nothing about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a fine line. Well, I don't know even if it's a fine line. It's a line that keeps moving. Yeah. As far as what's considered free speech, uh, and what's considered uh, things that should not be talked about publicly, because it's still being talked about those. Those innuendos are still being made. Uh, it's just now closed doors. And now, unfortunately, things that are said behind closed doors are now being opened. Um, you know, and, and who knows where this will lead to. And and, and you know what? I'm, I want to use that, that term to kind of transition mm -hmm. to you being in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Going from a... So you grew up in, in, in St. Louis. Yep. I grew up right, right in the heart of the city. Which, um, watched an amazing documentary about your city a couple of years ago about how many public schools have closed in that city mm -hmm. over the years because of the, you guys have something there where 
if a parent chooses to not send their kid to public school, you can have that money, the tax, the school money sent to a private school for a well, private education. Well, we haven't got to the point where it was private education yet, uh, where you can send it at a private school. But uh, from the late 70s, and I think they're going to cut it off next year, we had what's known as the DSEG program. So what it was is where uh, black students that lived in the St. Louis city could be bused to the uh, suburban suburban schools, right? And then the suburban white kids could could be, you know, transported and enrolled in the St. Louis public schools. So on paper, hey, that looks great. But in theory, you know, in actuality rather, you have uh, thousands of black kids who went out to the county and hundreds of white kids coming into the city. Math don't work. Math don't work. So what happened is this now St. Louis uh, County in the suburban school districts, man, you got big, beautiful school buildings, uh, wonderful athletic facilities. Uh, and this is built on the money that the black kids brought with them. Um, and along with them coming out to the suburban schools, a lot of things took place and a lot of things happened to those young people that kind of scarred them. Some of them really flourished in that environment, but a lot of those kids were scarred. Uh, you know, education. So I'll give you an example. Uh, so we, we lived, when we moved back to St. Louis, we lived in a pretty affluent area, right? And so some of the, and of course my kids are black, black mother, black father. So, black. The, yeah, man, you know, this this surprising, right? <laughs> But, uh, you know, so my kids black, they go to the neighborhood school, right? So you got other, you got other black kids who live in the neighborhood who go, not a lot, it's not a lot of us, but then you had some black kids uh, being bussed in from the city. And so my kids would catch a lot of harsh treatment from teachers and parents, give an example. Uh, my son needed to go, my son wasn't feeling well. He went to the nurse. Nurse says, hey, uh, you can just lay here. You know, I know your mom's, your mom, your parents live almost an hour away and your mom probably can't get off work. So just lay here. My son said, man, uh, man, we live two minutes away. My mom doesn't work. Uh, you know, th those type of stereotypes, um, they had some sort of program where the, where all the kids can earn McDonald's, right? The city kids, the kids were being bused. They, you know, they, their bus ride about 45 minutes away. Okay. So the school says, hey, we'll, we'll allow, you know, a bus to take you to McDonald's so that you can have food to eat before you get home for the bus ride. No harm, no foul, right? Right. Parents had a fit. Why do these kids get special treatment? So, you know, that's the world. Now, these are affluent parents. These are not, these kids aren't, aren't threatening their way of life by no right. means. So it's different things in, that went on in the city of St. Louis. St. Louis is a lot like Baltimore, where the St. Louis city is not a part of St. Louis County, the same way yeah. Baltimore city is not a part of Baltimore County. So St. Louis city is a small place, uh, right around 300,000 residents. And if you drew a line right down Delmore Boulevard, uh, which is called the uh, Delmore Divide, to the north of Delmore is black, to the south is white. Just like that. Just like that. This is 2021. See, Baltimore's like that too, though. I always try to explain that to people. 
like Alton, and I, I've I've only driven through St. Louis, so I I can't speak to it. But I was trying to explain to people, Baltimore is the only city you'll that I've ever been into that is the smallest big city in the world. Yeah. If if you're me, I grew up in Dundalk. Yeah. With other white, Irish, Italian, and Polish kids. Dundalker. I'm a Dundalkian. All yeah. day. Yeah. You know, Turner Station, which was right down the road, mm-hmm. that was black. Yeah. If you, you that's who lived in Turner Station. Greek town, which was the other way, was mm-hmm. all Greek. Yeah. Germantown, uh, Pikesville was all Jewish. Yeah. You, you were Jewish if you and it's still that way today. It is. Like, like so St. Louis sounds like it's the same way. St. Louis is more extreme. Like so, so you said it, this line, the Delaware divide. Delmar divide. Or Delmar divide. That's, That's it. Right. That's it. Like when I say uh now, some parts of the, on the south, on the southern part, on the south of Delmore, is integrated, but north of Delmore is, I would say, ninety nine point nine percent black. Like, like, like one dude, one white dude, just man, one white dude who likes black girls, or one white girl who likes black guys. I, I, I know, I might be, I, <laughs> that might be my people. <laughs> don't get it twisted that might be my people it might be you huh? i know where to find you, you come to St. Louis, huh? look i ain't never turned out nothing but my collar we'd be I all right you. i hear you <laughs> that was in my younger days my wife's gonna come down the steps here in a minute and club me like a baby seal can right. i say that can i say i don't even know if i can say that i don't know that uh so so here you are you're a year younger than me i'm mm-hmm. 76 you're 77 77 uh so we're talking Coming into the NFL, two thousand. You're, you know, walk me through because, and I think we've talked about this. I have a cousin that plays for the Bills. Yeah, and I remember him telling me, uh, and and well, really, it was his dad telling me what the experience going like going to college to be recruited. What is what was it like being recruited to Tennessee State? What was how did they approach you? If I told you this story, you wouldn't believe me. I'm, I, I make me a non-believer. So, um, so I'm, this is my senior year in high school. Now, mind you, I, I didn't start playing football until my junior year in high school. Are you serious? Yeah, I, I, I thought I was a baseball player. No shit. Even today, baseball is my favorite sport. Uh, so anyway, uh, the curveball didn't work out for me. Okay. So I knew I needed Right. So I had I had four things I wanted to do with my, my life. Okay. So I wanted to to go in the military. I wanted to be a rapper. So I, I went to Cleveland Junior Naval Academy, which is it's a public high school with the ROTC program that's every day. Nice. All right. So that was, I said, okay. But then I grew and I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to make the military weight requirements. So that was out the door. Uh, so one of the, the guys said, hey man, you got the size, you should play football, you can get a scholarship. So went out for football. Uh, I literally, literally did not know what a guard tackle, well, I knew what the center was, but I didn't know the difference between a guard and a tackle. Uh, so anyway, so I started playing my junior year, had fun, came back my senior year, uh, uh, my college coach, my high school coaches, man, they they really poured into me. Um, 
And so, you know, that really made all the difference. Uh, so anyway, so my senior year comes, uh, I knew a guy from middle school who went to a rival high school and we played him and I beat him up pretty good. And he, he said, yeah, man, I'm going on a recruiting trip to this school. I said, what? How's this dude getting recruited and, I, and I'm not? So I called my high school coach, right? So I live right in the heart of the city, downtown St. Louis City. My high school football coach lived in the suburbs about 40 minutes away. I said, Coach, man, this dude getting uh, recruited and I'm not. And Coach said, stay where you at. I'm coming to get you. So he drives 45 minutes to pick me up, 45 minutes back to his house. And there was a recruiter uh, from Tennessee State University. He was sitting at uh, a guy who they were recruiting out of St. Louis's living room. And Coach says, hey, I want you to meet Benny Anderson. Coach said, hey, how you doing? I said, great, Coach. So Coach, my coach put in my film. And uh, he played the first three plays. And the coach said, cut it off. I've seen enough. I'm going to offer you a scholarship right on the spot. And uh, and I'm glad he did because the next two plays I got worked. So that worked out well. So that's how I got recruited to Tennessee State. And that was really my only offer coming out of high school. So, so it really was just almost dumb luck that you were pissed that you beat this other guy's team. Yeah, and all of well, a sudden... Well, I wouldn't even, would even call it dumb luck. I would call it a coach uh, caring and pouring into his player. That's amazing. It is. And the, the guy who recruited me uh, at Tennessee State, he's now the chaplain uh, for the Tennessee Titans. That's so cool. Yeah. So, man, it's, it's you know, and it, it, it really developed a lifelong uh, relationship that really shaped me who I am as a man and as a coach. That that one high school coach pouring into me, you know, that's the result. Dude, that's and that's you know, here you are, and I, I'm thinking about that and in, in what you're doing right now, coaching mm -hmm. these kids, you see how important that positive male interaction with other young men, mm -hmm. you know, really can change their lives. No matter and it's not just football people, it's right life it's life you know don't look at a kid and say that you're not making an impact i have a hundred stories you know nothing like that but i have stories where other male role models made a positive impact so now here we are mm -hmm. you're gonna go from st louis yeah. inner city st louis inner city. to tennessee yep now, it's, it's not that far it's only about a four and a half hour car ride Look, my mother's family is in is in Elizabethan, Tennessee, by Johnson City. Oh, like East Tennessee. East Tennessee. By yeah. East Tennessee State. Yeah. Uh, they're they're all out that way. I think that's actually where my cousin went to was East Tennessee. So here you are in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Um I, you know, I don't know how country Missouri is, especially, but St. Louis, I it's a city. It's an inner city. It's a city, um, yeah. You know, so what was that experience like getting there? And really now you're also, correct me if I'm wrong, this isn't an, an H an HBC. It is. Oh, a, Tennessee State is an HBC? Yeah, HBCU, oh. yeah. Oh, I didn't see I didn't know Tennessee State was an HB, HBC. Yeah, it is. So so get this right. So man, my mother put me on the bus, right? To go to college. The Greyhound bus sent me to college. Hey, <laughs> one bag. Hey, don't come back. <laughs> 
So, so I, I get to college, I get to campus, right? And I'm the first one in the dorms. So I see the kids moving in and I'm seeing a mother and a father moving their kids in. So these black kids, and I grew up in a, a black neighborhood, went to a, a pretty mixed high school, but man, I, it was one kid in my neighborhood who had a father in the house and he was a dope man. So, you know, so this is a, even though I'm a black man, a black male yeah. in a black, in pretty much all black environment, it's a culture shock to me because I'm not used to seeing these. I'm not used to seeing uh, black men and black women working together to raise kids. I'm not used to seeing kids who are coming from stable environments. So even though it's a, a black college, it was a culture shock to me. Even, even though I'm used to living around black people, I'm not used to, to that type of environment. So it was kind of a culture shock, not because Nashville was, in a, you know, was a Southern city. Right. Just being around different types of black people. Now, kind of staying with, with our theme here, did you ever feel because of where you came from, inner city, mom was the only person in the household, didn't really see that. Were you ever looked upon differently? Like, oh, he's just here because he's an athlete. You know, he's one of he he's from that environment, not treated equally in in that community. And for those of you, I, I didn't even think anything of it. H HBC stands for Historical Black College. If you don't know what that means, um, right? HBC, yeah, HBCU, Historically Black Colleges and Universities. Yeah. But no, no, I wasn't treated, you know, and that was, the great part was, you know, I was a member of the football team and, you know, we were the, the like I said, different time. We were the biggest gang frat entity. <laughs> so I was insulated. I was protected. So even though I may have only had two pair of pants and a couple shirts, you know, I was cool because I played ball. Now, if someone else was in that situation, they might not have been as cool. That's a, that's a, that's interesting to me because I never would have would have thought about it because I have a lot of friends that went to HBCs and they were the kids you were talking about. They mm -hmm. were both mom and dad at home. You know, uh, I think of my buddy Julian. You know, dad prior was a prior service army. I think he was a sergeant major, master sergeant in the army. Um, I have another another real close friend. You know, both his parents, you know, he was first generation being able to go to college. Mm -hmm. So I never considered it in the way you said it. So so we we get there. You're now everybody's beanie size. You know, Man. there's some beanie babies out there. But Man. when I when I got to camp. So here you go. So when I finished my senior year of high school, I was around 290. Right. I was pretty, pretty in good shape. Right. So that summer I had a job at Burger King <laughs> and I was the closing shift. Man, I made so many different types of whoppers and shakes. Man, I got to camp Man, I was 332 pounds of grease. <laughs> and, uh, and and I, I knew I had messed up because when they picked me up from the bus station, they was like, is this the same guy? Um, oh, shit. so man, so I get in the way, so, you know, you get to college, they weigh you and all that. So then they want to see how strong you are. And man, I didn't lift weights. So a guy, he was a, he was, a, we were freshmen. 
And uh, his name is Larry Floyd. Larry Floyd, uh, whatever you put on the board, he could just lift it. So Floyd was about 180, 190. And he gets under 225, does it a couple of times, puts more weight on there. I think Floyd might have got up to 295, did it a couple of times. God. So I let now you know, I'm I'm almost twice his size. I'm 330. So I said, uh, man, just put 225 on there. And I'm, I'm like, man, I can do that. Man, they put that 225 on me, man, I almost got killed. I couldn't get <laughs> I couldn't get it off me. So so you got so now I'm out of shape. Uh, they've only seen, you know, a couple uh, plays of film on me. And so now you got, it was five other offensive linemen that came in that year. So I didn't, that year, I didn't make the travel squad or anything, but I was red shirted. I was like the last man on the totem pole. Oh, could have lost your spot, period. Yeah, I mean, if 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 college football, if we had the type of coaches who would take your scholarship like they do now, Oh, I definitely would have been home. Wow. So so what was the was it the 225 struggling? Was that the the kick in the pants that you went like, oh no. What like what what turned the corner there at that moment where you were like, yeah, I gotta I gotta fix this? Well well, one thing, you know, even though I was greasy, you know, I always had good wind. So okay. we did a lot of running and I was like, well, even though I'm fat, I can still run a little bit. Not fast, but I can run, you know. But I'll get there. Yeah. So, man, that um, – then we had a, a senior offensive lineman. We had three of them. Uh, Royce McGowan, Dan Pride, and uh, what was D.C.? Dorian Clark. And, man, they really – it's like, man, you got something, you got something about you, man. We're going to really pour into you. We're going to look out for you. We're going to show you the ropes. And so them older guys embracing me, man, and giving me the blueprint on how to become one a college student, and then two a student athlete, and then three a good football player. So you know, they really them guys pointing to me along with you know the coaching staff really got me on the right track. That's so now by by the time you're 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 no longer a red shirt. And if you're listening to this and you're like, what the hell's a red shirt fresh, freshman? Right. Just basically means you have one extra year of eligibility. You don't get to travel with the team. You don't right. get to uh, – there's a lot of like you don't get up, but you don't lose your eligibility also. Right. Um, so then, man, that that off season, that summer, and I dedicated myself to becoming, you know, a student athlete and a football player. So, man, uh, I stayed in Nashville – that summer uh so you know it's a small school so it's not like a university of maryland or university of missouri where they can afford to pay for the students you know the athletes to stay on campus and to be in summer school and all that so man i actually got a job well all of us got a job rolling beer that summer and what that means is you know you work for the local distributor and you deliver beer so man i took that money man and, and paid for my paid for me to stay on campus and man i just got after it that's awesome. Yeah. So, so we're ro we're rolling along here. You're at this point, you know, you're you've really only been playing football six, seven years because you're a red shirt. So seven years of football. No, but no, th three years. Oh yeah, at that point you're at three years. I'm I'm thinking, you know, well, at what point in in this equation does 
the NFL come into your actual purview and you're like, I can do that. I, I, I've got that in my, I can go do that. Where man, is that? It, man, so, so I end up, you know, starting for four years, right? Um, made some, you know, all conference, all American, all those honors. And uh, so every year, like I said, I was wanted to be a school teacher. So I, I did did my certification, did the student teaching and all those things. And so I guess around February, uh, the different school districts around the country came to recruit the college, you know, soon to be graduates. So I interviewed with, with some school districts and I actually accepted the position uh, in a Fort Worth ISD, Independent School District. And so I was all set to go to Texas and start my teaching career. Um, and then my uh, offensive line coach, he was like, hey, man, you, you might get a chance. I'm like, what you mean? He said, Baltimore really likes you. I said, for real? He said, yeah. I said, okay. All right. I'm not going to drop. Trust. In Ozzy, we trust. And I, but, you know, it was Ozzy. Ozzy had a daughter who played basketball at Tennessee State at that time. Oh, really? And, yeah, and we didn't know that was her, her dad. And uh, and then we had uh, – so then they had Mr. John Wooten and uh, James Shaq Harris. I met uh, Shaq at a Black College All-American banquet. And he was asking me a lot of questions, like an interview. I was like, yes, sir, no, sir. You know, I didn't really think it would go anywhere. So, man, you know, to fast forward it to come the draft, up, the draft is coming. And this is when it gets crazy. This is why NFL teams sucks, right? <laughs> so, so then, back then, the draft was on Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. Three rounds on Saturday, four rounds on Sunday. So, man, I'm getting phone calls. I don't have a cell phone, so they're actually calling my dorm room, and they're calling my mother in St. Louis. These, the Cowboys called, Carolina called, Tampa Bay called, and they was like, yeah, you know, we want to know what number, what's the phone number to reach you on on draft day. So, man, go. I'm thinking I'm going to get drafted. And uh, so all these teams, you know, they call it, then the draft come. First round, knew, one, knew that wouldn't happen. The second round, knew that wouldn't happen. Third round, no. Fourth round, no. Fifth round, no. Sixth round, no. Seventh round, no. So I'm like, okay, I didn't get drafted, but I'll get a call as, as an undrafted free agent. Didn't happen. So about a week after the draft, after all the teams have their rookie mini camps, uh, the Rams called me, right? The Rams called me and said, hey, man, we, we want to bring you in for a workout. Are you interested? Yeah, heck yeah. So this was the Rams after they win the Super Bowl. So I go fly to St. Louis. I'm still in school. Uh, they work me out. They sign me. You know, they sign me to a one year contract. Um, so now I'm under the tutelage of the great Jim Hannafin, and then John, uh, Coach John Masco. I think Masco was at the Ravens for a while as well. But uh, Coach Ma Coach Hannafin taught the technique. Coach Masco taught the, uh, you know, the plays, whatever. Man, so we get shorts and T-shirts, and, uh, you know, I can block you, and I can learn the plays, but I'm not going to look good in T-shirts and, and shorts, right? That's just not my thing. So anyways, uh, mini camp comes, whatever, whatever. So we break for training camp, and, uh, man, three days before training camp, I get a call from the Rams, and I got released. So I didn't, I didn't make it to training camp. Um, 
So remember, I accepted a job in Texas, but by now the school year has, you know, they had, I had to so I started working, man. I went to work. I went to work uh, men, working with mentally retarded and developmentally disabled adults and working uh, with young kids in the after school program. That's awesome. And so, you know, I was like, well, I'm content. You know, I'm going to live my life. And so then uh, I get a call from the, from a, from an agent. And he said, hey, man, send your film to this guy because they're going to start the XFL. Did you play in the XFL? In the original. I'm OG. Bro. What? What just happened? Did I lose you? Did you no, lose me? I, yeah, you. I lost you. Benny, I lost sound. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, yep, I heard you. So I didn't know you. I So I saw Chicago Enforcers on your thing. So, yeah. so you were, oh, God. Did you ever meet Trump? No, man, no, that was that wasn't Trump. That was a uh, McMahon. Oh, no, that was McMahon. That was McMahon, not Trump. But I thought yeah. Trump, no, Trump was involved in the XFL. No, no, that was him. That was a uh, all McMahon and Ebersol. Why did I think that Trump was involved in that? Because that's why he hates the NFL. No, he was USFL. Okay, all right. Yeah, man. So yeah, I get drafted, man. I see my family. I get drafted by the XFL by Chicago. Uh. And uh, Ron Myers was our head coach, the old uh, Patriots coach, Ron Myers. Yep. And an old SMU coach who got them guys in trouble. But anyways, so, man, I get drafted by Chicago, um, you know, make the team, play well. Had probably the most fun in my life, uh, if you can imagine, a 22-year-old young man with no responsibilities with who may, who's making, uh, I think I made like $63,000 in like 12 weeks. I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that's, that's that's good money today. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I'm – so, man, I'm having a great time. I'm living in a hotel. It's not a great hotel. At a Ramada Inn in, on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago. So, man, you know, I'm having a great time, man. And the season ends, and I'm like, yeah, I can't wait till next year. Then, uh, So, some guys from the XFL started getting signed, you know, to the NFL. And – uh. And I, I was content, man. I was like, well, you know what? XFL doesn't start till January. And I can work as a, a substitute teacher and, and start their career and then play XFL the second half of the, of the, you know, the year. So I get a call, and it's the Ravens, right? <laughs> and uh, they say they want to bring me in for a workout. So they fly me up to Baltimore. It's, it's steaming hot. And this is at the old facility. So we're outside on the turf. Turf, it's got to be like Before 120 degrees. <laughs> Before the castle. Right. And uh, so the old line coach, Jim Coletto, worked, is supposed to work me out. And, uh, man, he do two or three drills. All right, good enough. And uh, so they signed me. And so uh, so this is the last day of minicamp. And so I, I come in there. Now, you got to think now, I'm, I'm a no – I'm – not a draft pick. I'm not. I'm not, not to say I'm a nobody, but you know, I'm really a camp body. So I'm there for the last day of mini camp, right? I'm taking my physical as the team is taking their exit physicals. So while I'm in the, so while I'm at the facility, uh, the offensive coordinator, Coach Kavanaugh, he says, "Hey man, man, we're so blessed to have you and fortunate to have you as a Raven." I said, wow, man, this is I, I belong here, and here's the kicker. The reigning Super Bowl MVP of the world champion Baltimore Ravens walks over to where I'm sitting 
Hey, man, Ray Lewis, man, glad to have you a part of the team. Can't wait to work with you. Man, then what does that do to a young man's confidence? Dude, you were. Man. Bruh. And so, so right, man, right. We, break, man, we break, you know, uh, mini camp is over. So we you know, about six week period before training camp. And so Coach Billick and offensive line coach Coletto, they decided to bring me and Damian Cook in a week before camp to work with us. So you got to think now the offensive coordinator, the, 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 the Super Bowl MVP welcomes me to the team. They decided we are worthy enough that they bring us in a week before camp just to work individually with us. Now they could have been working with us to see whether or not they're going to cut us. We didn't know. Right, right. But the fact, so that man, my confidence level is through the roof. So when training camp starts, I'm feeling like, hey, I'm supposed to be here. These people want us here. So when training camp came, man, I, I just felt real comfortable. Man, I was able to dominate uh, during training camp. Uh, Sam Adams, if you remember, you remember Sam yep. Adams? Oh, yeah. It's, and Sam Adams told Rex Ryan, hey, I only want to go against him. That's a big boy, Sam Adams. Yes. And, uh, Sam so Adams man, and Tony Saragusa on that line used to just be two abusive human beings. Man, but, yeah. I mean, you got to think that there was just two of them. Then oh, the had Peter Ballwear, Mark second McCrary. team was Lionel Dalton, Mike McCrary. Uh, hey man, it's like no, you couldn't get a break. Mm-mm. So anyway, man, so I end up um, making a team, and I'm, I'm content. They're like, well, not content, but I, you know, I'm happy to be there. Right, right. And so first game comes along. We're playing the Chicago Bears at home. So. I get it. So at this point, my fiance, well, I don't, I don't know if she's fiance, whatever. I got a baby on the way, right? And so uh, I get the phone call the day before the first game. I'm going into labor. So I, I, I go find Coach Billick. I said, Coach, man, she's going into labor. He said, hey, if you got to go, you got to go. But we really need you here. Man. <laughs> So you know what choice I made, right? Look, Brian has just told you, we really need you here. In that voice. Exactly. Look, I, we, I understand completely, but, you know, we can really use you here. Amen. And so, so I end up staying. And this is this is the type of organization. Well, the two things I learned that day. One, that the NFL is for real. And two, that the Ravens are first class. So the game is over. Right. I think I played like on PAT field goal. We win. Right. So Coach Billick brings the team up. He has a ball in his hand. I want to give this ball to Benny Anderson. You know, uh, he just had a baby. I really try to force him to go home, but he really wanted to be here. So I said, Billick is a slick dude. Oh, yeah. So, man, oh, they, yeah. they rushed me to the airport. I'm on a bus with the referees. And so that's when I realized, so wait a minute, if the game was over at three, I was on the bus at three 30 with the referees. Wow. And so what I realized, I never even seen these dudes leave the field. The referees have such tight security. They have a, a police escort to the airport, through the airport onto the plane. So, Oh man, 
And that's what it dawned on me. Man, this is for real. There's a lot of lot of things are at stake with these games. A lot of so, moving parts. A lot of moving parts that you that you would never see. So, anyways, man. So this is nine nine oh one. So, you know. Wow. So you lead a you lead a hospital after two days. You know, two days oh, later yeah. is nine eleven. Yeah, nine eleven. So, um, you know, God bless that day, you know, and all of the people who are affected, all of us are affected, but the ones directly affected. And man, so I couldn't go back to Baltimore because you couldn't catch a plane, any of that. Couldn't get there. So in order to get there, guess what the Ravens did, man? Sent a car. Sent a limo. Hmm. Baller. <laughs> man. I was a baller, but I, I almost had to drive the limo because the limo driver was falling asleep. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, man, do you need me to drive it? You can get in the back and sleep. No, nah, I'm good, dog. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, man, that was my, my Baltimore, uh, getting the Baltimore story. Uh, you know, man. You play, I, you play 01 through 04 in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, pure curiosity, just because I want to know. Anyone, you know, and look, I know ain't no grown man gonna say I didn't want to face this person or that person, but some of the some of the best stuff to ever come out of that era is things like uh uh Eddie George saying that getting hit by Ray Lewis was like getting a baseball bat across the chest, or when uh Ocho Cinco thought he was gonna blindside Ray and Ray tattooed him, and that man came off the field going, I tried to hit Ray. <laughs> he hit me back. <laughs> you know, was there ever somebody as an offensive lineman that you you took extra reps during those days to prepare for, you know, either a swim move or, you know, the way they could talk, a- anything like that that you knew like, hey, this guy's going to come different than than the average. Man, I, you know, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great defensive players now, but I think I may have played in in one of the the best eras for for defensive players, especially in the old AFC North. Well, you know, were we the North then? Where were the AFC? We were, were still, the, still the North because we still played Tennessee uh, twice because it was still a five team uh, division. Yeah. And so, um, Tennessee had like seven or eight guys who all looked the same. And so you knew with Tennessee, because, you know, some teams back then, you either had a big run stuffer in the middle, right, or you had a quicker guy. So you can kind of, you know, you know, do your practice based on what you were going to face. Tennessee had guys who were who were not necessarily overpoweringly strong but and not necessarily over, over quick, but they were a good combination of both. And they had a whole lot of them. Well-rounded. Yeah. So those guys were always tough. Uh, they had a guy in Pittsburgh, Kimo von Olenhoff. Okay. He had, he had a – we called it the Kimo Club. Uh, and we're, he'd catch you leaning one way, then he'll just club you upside your head, you go flying. So, oh, uh, you know, so th- that was something. Um, Did you play against the Kimo Spikes? Yeah, man, I just beat up on, on spikes, man. <laughs> I just beat up. When, he was, 
Sure. So we used to, we, when he was with Cincy, man, we used to just run the ball down their throat. And he's a middle linebacker. Oh, yeah. And then so my last year in Baltimore, he's in Buffalo. And he's 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 playing in the middle, and we get to run the ball well on them. Just like Cincinnati, well, you ain't going to do me like that no more. And so, yeah, man, let's beat up on Spice. So you played on, on you know, an era. I love my Ravens, and we were talking about this beforehand. And, again, folks, check Beanie, Benny out. Love him to death. You know, this is old school, in my opinion, a golden age of the NFL. It was. Uh, we, were, we were talking about this earlier. The Ravens today, we've never seen a Ravens like this. And, and I want to get into your retirement, but I want to talk a little bit here about the Ravens of today, they've played five games. They're four and one. And I don't think out of any one of those games, it wasn't the last minute of the game, minute and a half before we knew we won. You know, I think the Ravens, I think the Ravens are four and one and you are what your records say you are. But I, I think when I watch the team play, it's still to me, a team that's looking for an identity. Um, so you go, you come into the season with thinking that you are a run team. You know, you run the ball, control the clock, play great defense. Well, you know, you have injuries, so that's not the case with the run game, right? You got injuries in the secondary, so you kind of you not whole as a defense. You know, you don't really have elite pass rushers. You know, so you're kind of vulnerable. So now, you know, you're in a position where now you're going to have to outscore people. And so now, I think. You know, it's, it's a transitioning period. And I think with that being said, I think the coaching staff is in place to have a successful transition that's going to look more like other elite NFL teams where it's throw the ball first. Throw, throw, throw. Well, I mean, I'm looking at this team, and, and I, I think we joked about this when you were on the show last time we were doing our preseason show. Mm-hmm. I think – Baltimore, to me, looks exactly like Kansas City. But Kansas City is the girl that you bring to dinner with your mother and your grandmother there. Mm-hmm. Baltimore is the girl that you tell your father about after everybody <laughs> breaks. That's right. Absolutely. Because it's just dirty. Yeah. I mean, it's it's whatever it takes to get there. And mm-hmm. you, I mean, you had to have had, I mean, that was an interesting time. You know, you're coming out of the 2000 season. The greatest defense ever to be put on on a field. We we talked about some of the players that were on that defense. Mm-hmm. Also, the same team that uh, you have a quarterback who was interestingly enough the only quarterback ever to be traded after winning a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. It you know we have Elvis Gerback. You dealt with Elvis Gerback. Yep. Uh, you know was supposed to be the next savior of that team. He was nothing on that team. You know you you got to see a lot. You got. Jamal's still on that team. Um, yep. You've got the drama that comes out of that a couple years after the Super Bowl. Um, the the Ray talk after that. Mm-hmm. You you got to see a lot of people leave, but that team it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. We, you know, we heard me say earlier in Ozzy we trust. Mm-hmm. That's the God's honest truth. I think without Ozzy, that team falls apart many many times. That guy was able to put pieces in place. Uh, you're a perfect example of it. He saw talent. Well, let me take it a step further. Take it a step. No, no, no doubt. He's 
He's a great evaluator of talent. Don't get me wrong. But I think we can all see talent, right? But I think what Ozzy is great at is evaluating people. And so when I say that, the Baltimore Ravens team and organization from top to bottom has always been made up of high-quality people. And when I say high-quality people, I'm talking about from Ozzie Smith, not Ozzie Smith, oh my goodness, from Ozzie Newsom. There is an Ozzie Smith if y'all don't know that, but he's different, complete Ozzie. From Ozzie Newsom and Dick Cass, Steve Bichardi, or when uh, Mr. Modell was around, all the way down to the volunteer firefighters who were in the locker room. The organization is only is built on and has only consisted of high-level people that would excel in any line of work that you put them in. And so I think that's his gift. That's his gift is he's a great evaluator of people. You have to answer a question for me. And then mm-hmm. we're going to go into transitioning, you know, to other teams and leaving. Mm-hmm. Who's the lady that does all the medical for the Ravens that has been there since inception? She has like blondish hair, tall lady. Dr. That? Curl. Dr. Curl. Dr. Curl. Yeah. She's uh, amazing. She is. And man, I don't even know who she is. I just know her standing there. She looks like she could have been any one of my teachers growing up in Baltimore. Man, I, man, I want to say she was a big time basketball player. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, she looks tall. Basketball. Yeah, she was six one, six two, maybe. Yeah, Doctor Curl and Doctor Tuck Tucker. Yeah, like you knew exactly who I was talking about. She's and she's been there forever. You never hear anything. And wherever the coaches are, she's not far behind them. She's right on the money with them. And she, hey man. <laughs> Like I say, man, the, when you talk about the Baltimore Ravens, you're talking about a top-of-the-line organization with top-of-the-line people. That's just, I mean, and that's the that's the recipe for success. That is why the Baltimore Ravens have had sustained success for years. Is is of course talent talent is all over the NFL, but having high-quality people who do their job with excellence. That's a rare, you you know that's a rare that's rare when you can get that rarefied air. So yeah. I, I love hearing you. So we now go to Miami. We well, do Buffalo. A, or, oh, it's Buffalo in Miami. So we do a little clip in, in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're there. We learn about wings. We learn yeah. about uh, uh, snow. What is it? Shoveling is your it? roof. Shoveling your roof. Um, what's the damn sandwich? Uh, uh, wick on on rye. rye. Oh. Yeah, yeah, beef on rye or something beef, like that. Beef on wick. Beef on yeah. wick. Yeah. Learn about beef on wick. If you don't know what that is, that is truly a sandwich that um you have to find a place that knows what we're doing. Yeah. The first one I had sucked. The second one was good. Um, Then we're down in Miami. We're sunning ourselves. Sunning ourselves. We're, get we're injured. Get injured. Yeah, man. So, um, so this is when Coach Nick Saban was the head coach. You say you don't? So here's my thing with Nick Saban, and I'll say this. I I would say it to him. I have no respect for somebody who says, I'm going to do this. I'm here for the long haul. I'm going to stick around. This I'm going to make this happen. And then you bounce. Man, come on. nobody, Nobody thought for one second that he was going to be able to turn Alabama down. 
But you, even you if, don't do that. Even if he wanted to, he couldn't. But you still don't do it. You don't. Well, because well, you know what? You that's that would be like if I said if I said Benny, you know, we were hanging out, and I was like Benny. I need you to drive me home, man. I've been drinking. I yeah. really need that. And you're like, Marv, I got you. Don't worry about it. I would never leave you at the bar. Mm-hmm. And you're like, right. I got you. I'm like, all right, man. Well, I got to go take a piss. I'm going to tilt my stool up here. I'll be right back. And I come back and you're gone. Yeah. It's the same idea. I put my trust. I put my faith in you. You're going to make this happen. And he walked. He walked. I, I just, I, that's my, I, I. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the sentiment among the players was that uh, he is saying that so we can get through the season. He's saying that to appease the front office. He is not saying that for us because we knew that, <laughs> hey, man, you're not turning Alabama down. What they, was, what they were offering him and throwing at him, I mean, even if he wanted to, I don't think he could. But uh, yeah, but I, I play Saving Man. He, you ever see the movie The Devil's Advocate? Yeah, yeah. So we used to call Coach Saving Tin Man because he said he had no heart, and Coach Satan. <laughs> and so, so man, so I'm in Buffalo, right? Mike Malarkey is the head coach. He recruits me to come to Buffalo. I like Coach Malarkey. Coach Malarkey gets fired mm-hmm. from Buffalo. He's now the OC in Miami. So uh, uh, Buffalo brings in a new coaching staff. They release me. So as soon as I get released, Coach Malarkey calls. Hey, man, come on down to Miami. So I go down to Miami on a visit, right? And uh, so you the, the, the visit culminates with you going into Coach uh, Saban's office. Now, Coach Saban is probably 5'7", maybe. And so he has this desk that's got to be about four feet tall. And so when you walk into his office, he doesn't shut the door. So he sits down behind his huge desk, presses a button, and the door shuts. <laughs> is he the dude from the morning show that like harassed all those women? What the hell was his name? Like oh, daily, not daily. What's the dude name? Like he would hit the button and the door would be like Psh. man, it was like the movie The Devil's Advocate, man. And uh <laughs> So, man, me and him talking, man, and Coach Saban, man, you talking about a guy who knows exactly what he wants and he has a plan for everything, that's him. Now, I knew once I got into the locker room in Miami, I knew instantly we ain't going nowhere with this locker room. Oh, really? Because I, you know, remember, I'm coming from Baltimore where I know what it looks like. And that didn't look like that. Um, so I was like, man, it's some good, really good players. It's some really good guys. But the locker room, no, nah, it's not conducive to, to having winning success. So I knew then that, you know, we weren't going to have a lot of success or the type of success that, you know, we could have had. So anyway, man, I start, you know, I earn the starting spot. Uh, second game of the season, man, I tear my tricep. Uh, I think the 10th player of the game. And uh, so I tore my tricep tendon, and it the tricep muscle rolled up in a, from my elbow all the way to my shoulder, like a almost like a shade. Oh. Uh, so man, I get that repaired. You get this. 
and man, I'm, and I'm gonna tell you, man, how how messed up the NFL have you thinking, man? When I get I get hurt, and uh, so they like, yeah, man, you probably tore your tricep, and I'm thinking, damn, man, I had some incentives that I'm not gonna reach. Not not you're injured. Not this could affect your whole life. That I got some coin I just left on the table. Yeah, because I had plans for that coin. So you know that was. You know, I'm looking because I'm 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 reading the tea leaves. So now, remember, I told you they had when I was first, in, you know, when I was, you know, previously, you had two different type of defensive linemen. You had the big slow ones or the small quick ones, but then they sort of crossbreeding these fellas. <laughs> and then you have guys who intermixing them. Yeah, these guys six six like Calais Campbell, six eight, three hundred pounds, cat quick. Man, I didn't want to wrestle with them guys. Calais Campbell, I remember him. So I'm like, hey, man, I need to find – working on my exit strategy. So by this time, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I need to be figuring out, making sure I get my ducks in a row so I can get out of here. Because I, I, mean, I knew, you know, my talent was, was talent, but I didn't have elite talent. So when you don't have elite talent, then once you start slipping a little bit, it's over. I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you, bro. Cause first off, you know, your everybody on a NFL field, in my opinion, it is a is a particular class away from a first round draft pick. Or a draft pick in general. Right. You're you're just a you're you're a class pick away. Right. You know, so so you were elite talent. Well, when I, when I say elite, so I, okay, so, you're not Jonathan Ogden, but you're right. You played next to him, right? And see, Ogden had elite talent, so that if his talent or if his ability started to slip a little bit, then he'll be good enough, just like everyone else. But okay, if every, that's what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? So that's why you see guys who the difference between guys who can play. Uh, seven, eight years, and guys who can play 12 and 13 years is once those guys, those guys have elite talent. And once their talent starts to slip, they can still get by because now they're on the same plane as everyone else. All right. But but if you start on the same plane and you slip a little, then, you know, then you're going to be a six or seven year guy if you're lucky. And that kind of answers Tim's question, which was, what was your decision to step away from the NFL or why was your motivated factor behind taking the position uh, you have now? So now you finish up. Mm-hmm. Was it right away we're, we're moving back to St. Louis? Well, so you remember, I'm living in Miami. Uh, Miami. So my wife, that's right. My wife, and you know, we went to middle school and high school together. And so she, you know, we got the kids. It's like, well, the grandparents are there and we're the only ones here. I've been following you around. I want to go home. Like, well, I guess we go home. Um, so we moved back to St. Louis. Uh, you know, I sat around for about a year getting super duper fat. I was 420 pounds, man. <laughs> oh, oh, good yeah. lord. Man. Good lord, son. <laughs> what have you been eating? Oh, so that was the wake-up call. Man, we had went on a family reunion to uh, Los Angeles. And so I said, man, it'd be fun to drive. So while in while in LA, man, I had in and out breakfast, lunch, dinner, and late night snack. All right. 
It's a man. Monster it's style? Did you go monster on all of them? Man, I was, man, see, people know about the triple triples, but I went for the quad quad. Four by four. <laughs> Two of them. And I mean, I went, I went all in. And man, it's something I feel kind of I feel kind of bloated just on the ride back. So you know, you go, you know, you stop at the truck stops and they have a scale in the bathroom. Man, I got on that scale. Look, said 420. Sheesh. Oh, and, uh, and then after that, man, I said, man, I can't live like this, man. So that's when mm -hmm. I started. Anyway, man, so that was 07, man. Then I, uh, I decided, man, I got to get off the couch and live life. And so, man, I started. Uh, so, I, you know, I had my degree in certification in teaching. So I took a teaching position at a, a middle school teaching uh, history, seventh graders. Oh, nice. Man, I love the kids, but I hated it, man. I was like, man, this is a joke. Uh, the education system is is broke. I mean, you know, just broke. So, man, I, I took a year off and said, man, I don't want to do this. So I ran into a guy who I grew up with, and his wife was a principal at a school, uh, Live for Life Academy here in St. Louis. Um, he said, man, you should go down there and help my wife out. I said, man, I don't know, man. So anyway, I went down there, man, and fell in love with the place. And I actually... I credit that school, you know, you talk about schools saving kids, you know, and helping getting the kids on the right track. But man, working in that environment with those people and with those young people and those families, they really did give my life a new purpose. And so, you know, that, that really helped to get me focused and on the, on a positive track, you know, being able to have a, a daily impact on some kids and some people and families that may have, you know, would typically get overlooked. So man, really cool. Well, well, tell me about this school. Was it? It's you said it's called Live a Life Academy. Uh, Lift for Life Academy. Lift for Life Academy. So, right. so what we made it a special so, school? It was the first charter school in the city of St. Louis. Um, and so, with that being said, we have a lot. We had a lot of freedom as to what we did with the curriculum, what we did with the students, and so you really got to know the students and the families on a level that you wouldn't typically get to know. Um, in a traditional public school setting. So what I mean by that is, when the, the students had my cell phone number, the parents had my cell phone number, um, you know, it was just it was just a different dynamic, man. You had kids who wanted to learn, kids who didn't, but you can pull a kid aside and say, hey man, look here, if you don't do this, I can promise you this is what's gonna happen. And then when they, when they didn't listen and what you told them was gonna happen, you still had enough uh, rain where you can go in there and pull them out that situation. Oh, nice. So, you know, from that aspect, man, it, it really helped to give my life purpose. So, so how many years were you there? So I was there for eight years. And so, like I said, I have sons and they started playing football at a Westminster Christian Academy. And, uh, it's a private school and it ain't cheap. Right. So, uh, NFL so, money ain't there no more. Hey man, hey, even with NFL money, so so wasn't cheap. <laughs> hey, hey man, I felt that every month. So, uh, so man, I started coaching there because I always wanted to coach my my kids. Um, so I'm coaching there, man. I really like uh, the coaching staff, the people there, and uh, so the head coach, the guy who who's the head coach, he's now uh, one of the principals. 
and the teaching position came open. And I was like, man, yeah, I, I, I like where I'm at, right? I said, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. He said, well, you know, it comes with a 75% uh, break on tuition. So where so, do I start? <laughs> so, you know, man, they ended up making me an offer. I just couldn't resist. And I mean, and I'm thankful for it, man. I love the environment. Uh, it's a totally different dynamic. I'm teaching students who are, who, I mean, some of the, the baseball Cardinals children. Um, oh, wow. Uh, I hope I can say this, but I got one of the members of the Isley Brothers. Uh, what? Son, son is in my class. Uh, so you, I'm dealing with that type of environment. Different, a completely different dynamic of, different of students. Environment, but what I've come to, to know is the kids have the same needs. So no matter if you are uh, your social economic status, whether or not you dirt poor, whether or not you got drug addicted parents, or whether or not your parents live in a four or five million dollar mansion, all of these young people are at risk. Some people have more buffers, you know, to, more things in place in case they fall to bad habits or to risk. But these kids are all at risk, and we and if America doesn't wake up and recognize that all of these kids are at risk and that all of these kids are our best hope for the future, we're in trouble. We're, 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 what is it? Sowing our own seeds of disaster. Absolutely. You reap what you sow. And man, we, we turn these kids loose to the television, not even the television. These kids, these kids don't even watch TV anymore. No, no, Mike, I promise you, my kids, um, I try to be like, hey, come check this show out with me. It's a good show. And they're like, I, I'm not watching it, Dad. I'm watching a YouTube video. I'm watching, you know, yeah. this, watching that. Yeah, my kids. 30, no. Man, so when you and I were in school, if a, if we knew we had a movie day, we were all in it. Now, when you're showing educational clips, 30 seconds is long. You can it's as long as you can go. Other 30 seconds, you lose them. They're done. They're done. You got to stop it, talk through it, then you can show some more, but 30 seconds is all you get. No, I mean, I, I've always said I blame that on uh, the vine. Remember? Do it for the yeah. vine. Yeah, do it for the vine. Got to do it for the vine. Because they were six-second clips, and you laughed your ass off, and somebody figured it out, and it kind of progresses from there, but yeah. 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 Like, I, mean, I, I give you all the credit in the world. I raised young men in the Marine Corps. I've always believed that I was responsible for, you know, somebody's baby and raising young men. But I'll tell you right now, I used to go into those schools and watch those teachers and in Pennsylvania. Mm. I'll be damn, Benny. I'll be damn. Mm. You won't talk to me like that. No. No. But man, let me tell you a funny story. So when I was with the Ravens, man, I was active in Teach for America. Okay. And so every every year they would have like Teach for America Week, but they were bringing like celebrity teachers or whatever. And so, man, I went to Northwestern High School, not Northwest, Northern High School. Was Northern? In Northern, Baltimore. Northern, yeah, in Baltimore City. Uh, man, so they had this one teacher in there. I guess he was a, a new teacher, young teacher. Man, those kids cussing them out, you big stupid, you know, just letting them have it, man. So they asked me to go into the class. I go into the class. You know, they quiet down for a minute. One little dude says, man, for real, man, I ain't never seen you on the field. Man, you don't play for the Ravens. 
me get this dude out of here. I was like, man, what's wrong with these people? So, yeah, man, you know, with what I've learned, and you know this as, you know, Marine Corps, those young people crave discipline. 100%. And and if you establish uh, parameters, you give them room to to express themselves and to grow, but set hard uh, hard expectations, and they'll reach them. But if you don't, they'll reach those as well. You'll, You'll like this story as we're getting ready to put this together. I was at, um, you ever heard of North Penn High School in yeah. Pennsylvania? Yeah. So that was one of the schools I was responsible for was North Penn. And mm-hmm. for folks that don't know it, it's the largest high school in the state of Pennsylvania, graduates over a thousand kids a year right. and was the birth of kind of the ESPN going and interviewing high schools and, and doing documentaries. They did one on them. I don't even think you can find the documentary anymore. I've looked for it. Um, the original high school head coach got fired because he was out there cussing them kids out. And this was yeah. like early night or late nineties. So here I am, I'm in my blues and I'm doing a entire presentation on leadership, Marine Corps leadership. The acronym mm-hmm. AJ did tie buckle justice, judgment, uh, dependability, intelligence, uh, decisiveness, going through the whole thing. With right. So I'm doing this all day long, every class. I get done and one of my kids comes to me. I'll never forget him. A great, great Marine, good kid. His name was Frank Zoika. I can still remember his name. We're going, we, this is 20 years ago. Mm. Now I think about it. it was, this was 2001, 2002, 20 years ago. God, it was 20 years ago. So he comes to me and he goes, he goes, uh, hey, staff sergeant, one of my buddies was in your class. I said, yeah. Did he like it? He goes, well, he goes, when I first saw the guy, I thought I could whoop his ass. By the time the class was over, I decided I didn't want to mess with him no more. Mm. I just established that. Like you said, you establish who you are. So, yep. brother, I know you, you, you're getting ready to finally let you out of the building. They're going to let you yeah. go home. Look, he just ducked under a doorway, folks. I just watched, <laughs> I watched Benny just duck under a doorway. So, Benny, I thank you so much. Anything out there where folks can find you, uh, if they're looking for you, they want to support any of your programs that you got out there. What, where can they find you? Man, you know what? I am on Facebook and I'm, I'm on Twitter. And if you give me about another week, I'm going to get with Dibble and then we're going to get it going. I, I'm going to get Dibs to get you on the, on the IG and get your boys going. Yeah, your son, yeah. I saw I'm him. With him. Yeah, he, yeah, he got it figured out. But I'm going to have to get with Dibble and he'll get me up and going. He'll make he'll make it happen. So right. uh, remember, you got to give me a couple of minutes when the show's over because I got something for you. When the show's right. over, you all as always as the guest, you get the last word. What's the last word tonight, brother? Hey man, you know what? Thanks, Sean. I love what you're doing, man. I'm glad that you're utilizing this platform and uh, keep up the good work, man. That's my last word. Thank you, brother. Alrighty, folks, be sure to push your stool in. This has been an Earplug Podcast presentation found on EarplugPodcast.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever your favorite podcasts are found.